Hello, and welcome to Slush, a publishing podcast. I'm your host, Eric Harden, and on this week's episode, I'll be chatting with a wonderful guest about working in a publisher's audiobook department. This week's guest is another person that I had not yet met before this interview. I had such a wonderful time chatting with her. She's a fellow Michigan State University graduate, which I was thrilled to find out. We have a nice little chat during this episode about some Michigan stuff, which I decided to keep in because I thought it was personally funny. Feel free to skip over it if you're not a Michigan person, but it really gave me life. So I decided to leave it in. And yeah, chatting with this guest, I had such a wonderful time. I'm so thrilled that she was willing to be on this podcast. Her name is Tiffany Ferrari, and she is an audiobook producer with Simon & Schuster. And she's worked on some really wonderful books. She's such a kind human being, and I'm so grateful that she took the time to be on this podcast. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Tiffany Ferrari. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this week's episode of Slash. Hi, of course. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I appreciate it. It's not very often the audio folks get asked to do something in a publishing realm, so... Could be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about audio because it's just such a different section of the industry that I don't have any personal experience with. So I'm I'm really thankful that you took the time to chat with me. And so without further ado, let's just jump right into the questions. The first question is, how did you get to this point in your career? Basically, give us a full rundown of your resume. Of course. So my resume kind of starts at Michigan State University. Go green, go white. Thank you for asking me about that. <laughs> So grew up in Michigan, went to Michigan State University, studied art history with cognates and French and museum studies. So very useful at around the time the recession came in the early aughts. So that was perfect. And then from there, I just kind of started working my way up into whatever I could, things that interested me, things that didn't interest me. I helped my friends open a boutique in Ann Arbor, a women's boutique. That was really fun. I worked at The Gap all through college. So it was like that old retail life. And then after that, I got a job as a media analyst at this company called Prime Research. And that kind of allowed me to move to New York after a couple of years. A very odd job of coding and kind of decoding what articles meant for certain companies. It was actually really interesting and learning about data sets and all of that kind of side. And then from there, I got a job in New York at an American history nonprofit called the Gilder Lerman Institute, a really great institute still to this day, still going on. I was an education coordinator for them. So doing everything from doing large national programs for National History Teacher of the Year, gala planning, all of that fun stuff. And then through that job, I met my now boss. So that's kind of how I dipped my toe into the audio realm. She has worked at Simon & Schuster for over 20 years, a wealth of knowledge in audiobooks and back then books on tape. So yeah, I met her through a mutual friend at work and I would see her randomly at different book events, gala things. And yeah, we hit it off. And one day she emailed me about a potential job opening up in the associate producer realm. And I kind of just took to the interview process like a duck to water. It was really great. The people I interviewed with were awesome. And I could tell this is something really exciting and something I think if I got the opportunity to do, I would love to. And from then on, that's that's history. That's how I got into it. And I started as an associate producer. Now I'm a producer. That's so great. Yeah, I do want to acknowledge that <laughs> the main connection that I had with Tiffany is that we both went to the same college. So go Spartans. And I also was wondering, as you were giving us your background, did you have any prior audio experience before this job? Did any of the other jobs you had have a component of audio or some kind of production in that way? No. So kind of just going in fresh. My audio experience stems from only music. My mom owns a record store back in Michigan. And so it's more of the audio side of selling, listening to records, going to concerts. But audio was always a curiosity of mine. I always thought sometime in my life I would like to work in the music business realm of some kind. And then 
when this, I'm obviously an avid listener of podcasts. I've listened to audiobooks in the past, and it's a job I never knew existed, to be honest. I did not know this whole world existed. And I think a lot of people that are in this industry are in the same boat. It's you just kind of happen upon it somehow. It works for you. It works for your personality. I mean, books, audio, pretty great. So it's, yeah, it's a roundabout way, but. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, I think it's probably more specific for audiobooks because it is a more niche area of the industry. But I do think that's true kind of for this industry as a whole. Unless you grew up knowing you wanted to be an editor, you're probably in a department that you didn't realize was a department. And so the stumbling is, I think, kind of a narrative across the industry as a whole. So thank you so much for that. The next question I have is, what are some favorite projects or titles that you've worked on so far in your career? Yeah, as an associate producer, I had the chance to work on really large titles from the get-go. Working on books, I've AP'd, I was an associate producer, so aiding anything the producer needed help with during sessions, out of sessions. Stephen King books are always a favorite of mine to have worked on. Obviously, the book's always going to be extremely interesting. We can hire a pretty well-known actor or actress for that part. So that's always kind of a fun casting situation where I get to read the book. And that's another weird, exciting thing for me is actually just reading books before they're out. I'm such a nerd about that. I'm like, ooh, I wonder how many people have read it by this point. <laughs> Especially for like embargoed titles, I'll get it. And I'm just like, that's great. Just like you're in on some weird little secret. I mean, we take our kicks where we can, I guess. So yeah, the Stephen King book's always fun to work on. One project that really sticks out is back after the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton's first book back was What Happened. And I had the chance to work on that with my boss, the VP of our department. She recorded Hillary and I got to go to one of the sessions and meet her. And my whole thing is she offered me a Diet Coke. And I'll never forget that. I was like, I don't drink pot, but I will absolutely take this. I'd be a fool not to. So that was really, it sticks. I'll never forget that. And a book I recently worked on is called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by this author. Her name is Donnie Walton. She's relatively newer to the scene. Such a great book. It lent itself so well to audio. I think there are about 20 to 40 characters. So we had some overlap with some actors for us for different characters. But putting that together, working with her, I had her pretty involved in it because I wanted this to be so much reflection of the book itself. It's written as this narrative history of this fictional band. So much so the first time I looked it over, I looked up the band thinking they were real. Of course, they weren't real. Like it's a fiction book. But her writing style was incredible. It lent itself so well to the audio. I got to work with Andre DeShields, who I'm such an adoring fan of from Hades Town and numerous other things. But yeah, so that, that's been one of my favorite all-time projects to have worked on so far. That's so great. Yeah, I have that book on my bookshelf and I've been meaning to read it. So this is my push to finally do that. Also, unrelated to this podcast at all, and I might cut this, I don't know. But hearing you say pop was really gratifying because people make fun of me all the time for saying pop. And like, there's really nothing about my upbringing in Michigan that I want to keep necessarily. Like the accent can go whatever, but I will die on the hill of calling it pop. It is pop and I will not change. So I'm just, I feel seen today. <laughs> so thank you for that. I so appreciate it because I actually, I was so disappointed. I almost teared up a little bit. I went to get some Detroit style pizza for lunch or not for lunch, for dinner. It's dinner time. It's been a long day. And they did not have ranch dressing as a side. And I was borderline appalled. If you're, I'm not going to name that place, but you must have ranch dressing as a side if you're a Detroit style pizza place. Oh my gosh. I think you should name it. I can bleep it if you want me to, but I need to know what to avoid. <laughs> so it's Ace's Pizza and apparently their Williamsburg location has ranch, but their Rockefeller location does not. Wow. That is so rude. Were they just out of stock or is it like they just don't carry it? Literally don't have it at that location. That's criminal. <laughs> okay, anyway, enough Michigan stuff. Next question, how would you describe the work that your department does as a whole? 
So I think that's a very interesting question because even within Simon & Schuster as a company, and I think this happens at other big five publishers, smaller publishers that have an audio department, no one quite knows outside their department what we do. I remember going to a holiday party a few years back and I had someone in editorial come up to me and they're like, oh, what books have you worked on? All this stuff. And I told them and they're like, oh, did you read it? Well, yes. So I read the book. I adapt it for audio, basically. And then I have it read to me. (laughs) I direct it. And then I listen to the edit back. So I am very well versed in the book by that point. So that's kind of a rudimentary thing of what we do. We read the book. A lot of times some will have to be adapted for audio, doing things like script formatting. I know it's just it's a bit of grunt work to format a script sometimes, depending on who the reader is and what their specifications are. Or if it's certain parts pulled from the book that you need for separate characters. It could be very tedious and you want to make sure you have everything possible. You're not skipping any lines or paragraph. So we start there. We start, we get a production list. We have our editorial side here that goes through and kind of combs through what's going to work well on audio, what has audio rights. We get rights from outside masters from the UK, from different publishing companies that are selling the rights to the audio. And that's kind of where we begin. It goes through our production schedule, which is kind of like our all-time guide. I look at it, see what's coming up for the next year and change. And then we start planning. We get assigned titles. We're very lucky in that we have a big say in what titles we get to work on and what ones we'd prefer not to, if possible. And yeah, then we go from there. And then it just gets into the tedium of getting connected to the reader. If it's an author, if it's going to need to be cast, working out budgets, budget levels, that kind of small potatoes stuff. And then it goes into getting a studio. Where are they located? Do we know people there? Do we trust an engineer there? Are we going to be there? Are we on site? Is this a higher level book? Is it something like Britney Spears? Someone has to be on site for that. We can't zoom in for that. (laughs) Yeah. And then from there, we produce it, direct it, send it off to an editor to be edited, listen to it back. Sorry, I know it gets a bit like it sounds very round robin, but it's kind of a cut and paste thing mostly. And yeah, from there, it goes through uh, quality control or QC companies that we use. So it gets heard back again. So literally, we try to have it as clean as possible, pronunciations on point, not missing anything, and then wrapped up and sent to different outlets. So it's going to be distributed to Libra FM, Audible, Google, Apple, the whole works. So it's kind of what we do in a very nuanced, large nutshell. But basically, it's all about the audio production. That's so great. And I guess I never really considered that one producer is doing the directing, doing all of those aspects of it. It kind of seemed like maybe it would be more separated than like you handling all of that in one project. So I'm in awe. (laughs) Yeah, it varies by publishing house. I have friends over at Harper Audio and they tend to just distribute everything. Their producers in-house kind of ship out everything to be done. And I know Penguin Random House does it differently. Macmillan, all of these places have a different thing, but at least that's how we kind of do it at Simon & Schuster. We always have freelancers as well especially because we're doing about 500 titles per year on audio. So some are just supervised produced. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a common theme in this podcast, at least for me, that I'm always in awe of how much actual work every department is doing. Because like, obviously, I'm in the minutia of my own job. So like, I know how much work gets done in a managing ad department. I'm doing a lot of it. Uh, (laughs) But it's so interesting. It's just so much work. This industry is so much work. But yeah, thank you so much for that more top level description of the department. Next question, what are some of your favorite and least favorite parts of your job? Yeah, so it would vary. I would say when I first started, some of the hardest stuff was, it's like always when you're working up, it's just being on call for someone else who's above you and learning a working relationship. I would say that was the hardest. One of the harder parts was learning different people's working styles. You have freelancers from outside the company that are brought in and they're almost employees unto themselves at this point. But yeah, getting to know their style. 
you hardly ever meet them in person. And so you only have an email or phone call or text conversation. And that that was hard. But hey, I mean, I think it primed us well for pandemic times. Like you have to learn how to communicate outside of face-to-face contact. That was a little difficult. And then when I first started, there was very little link between the managing ed departments and editorial and audio. So we didn't know what they did. They didn't know what we did. And one of my administrative tasks is to wrangle every single manuscript. I mean, I have help now, but back when I first started, it was mostly just me. And that was a lot of work. It was learning all new terminology. I I had no idea what 1P, 2P, 3P, tear sheets, all of the stuff, TK, just like learning the jargon, learning a whole new language, basically, for a world I wasn't super aware of or embedded in. I would say that was pretty difficult. But then we ended up meeting. I had a meeting with managing Ed and some folks from my team. And we linked up and we're like, hey, we know these crash titles are hard for you guys, but they're very hard for us because we pub the same day. <laughs> and if we don't have anything to work with script wise, we can't record the book and do what we do either. So here's what we do. You guys tell us what you do and how we can work a bit more efficiently together. So it was a really interesting process of taking something that was a bit difficult and making it something great. I love emailing all of our managing editors and bothering them now. They're so lovely. I really adore working with them. Thank you. And I love hearing that someone loves emailing managing editors because I feel like a lot of our job is to be the taskmasters. So it's nice that someone might look forward to emailing us. So you kind of mostly focused on like the more difficult things. What are some of your favorite aspects of your job as well? Oh, the people stuff. The folks I get to work with. We're a team of about 12 now. For some issues, I think we're at 12. Our team is just so sturdy. It's a wonderful team to work with. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And also the people I get to work with outside of my team. So all of the authors I get to meet. Every Like I just worked with an author this week who's a managing director at Goldman Sachs. And it's her story about all of the stuff she went through while there. So all of these different authors, I have such contact with them. So if we're recording, it might take like a week and there's five or six hours every day I'm with them. For a week, it's like a mini summer camp. You get to grow really kind of close, very intimately with these folks. And then it's done. Then it's done. You're like, summer camp's over. Time to go back to our normal lives. And some remain friends or friendly outside of that arena, which I'm also incredibly grateful for. Just having these little connections through folks and meeting people from all across the globe, all of that. It's really cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I have thought I would never leave Man Ed because it's truly the dream job. But I have thought like audio would be a really fun, I think, place to work. Plus, I obviously have a podcast, so I like audio stuff. Um, <laughs> anyway, enough about me. What traits or skills would you say that you feel are necessary for a person looking for a job in the audio department? Yeah, so I know kind of what people tend to punt to is having a working knowledge of directing and all of that. But in my experience, I would say it's 100% about people chemistry, being able to read someone, read their body language, read how they're kind of feeling and being able to adapt to them. That's my number one goal. When I have an author read, they're usually a little nervous coming in. I want them to feel as comfortable as possible to tell me their life story, basically, because it's usually a memoir. If it's a nonfiction book, maybe not so much, but it is kind of a very intimate experience and they need to be super comfortable with me and very comfortable with whoever I have hired for engineering as well. I would say just being able to adapt to your situation in a very quick moment, being able to calm things down if they 
if they find typos within it while reading it out loud for the first time, it could be a little little heated and you want to take them down a little bit and just say, hey, it's all right. Happens all the time. It really does. It's no big deal. We'll email the folks that need to be emailed and we'll go from there. But right now it's just us having a great time. We'll go back into it. And it usually does temper down the situation. But I would say, yeah, being a people person and just being able to adapt is, I think, the biggest thing. Thank you. Those are great um, things. I also want to say, so I run reprints for MCPG and I get emails all the time from the audio department as they're recording things like, hey guys, we found these six typos throughout the book. Here you go. And it's always so nice because it's just another eye, you know? So it's a great backup. (laughs) Okay. So this is kind of, the next question is kind of the big question in the episode, because I'm hoping that through these episodes, people will get a real sense of the vastness of the work that goes into publishing each book. Each book is its own monumental task that we have to take on as professionals. So can you walk us through the standard work that you do in your role for an individual book from start to finish? Yep, of course. So like I said, we have that production schedule that we go by for everything. I'm looking at editorial notes, our audio editorial notes, seeing what's coming out, seeing what will be in the future and getting assigned or telling my boss that I would like to work on this book. So that's the first step. The next step is going to be once I get my name on that book, I'll have an associate producer assigned to work with me on that project. So anything I need help with, whether it's pulling pronunciations, doing pronunciation research, helping scheduling, looking for studios, looking for freelancers, they're my go-to person. And I'm always incredibly grateful for that (laughs) and for all the help and assistance they provide. So from there, it goes into being connected to either the author, the actor, both at times, whatever it need be, scheduling. Once I schedule, I'm reading that book. I'm reading that book with a fine-tooth comb, making sure little things such as while you are reading this book gets turned into while you are listening to this audiobook. Just little things like that. I mean, it sounds a bit minute, but it's something to look out for. If you're working on something like a cookbook, which we also do on audio sometimes, it's making sure there's a PDF that you have created to go along with the audio accompaniment. Making sure things like please refer to this chapter instead of this page. Little things like that kind of add up. Pronunciation research is huge during that moment as well. So I'm either contacting folks directly, (laughs) trying to find stuff on YouTube. Uh, Actually, people saying their own names is incredibly helpful. And I don't know if anyone from TED Talks is listening, but I would love for you to have the TED Talker to introduce themselves at the beginning of it, because there are so many folks that do TED Talks that I need their names and I never get their name from the video itself. It's a bit maddening. So and rant on that. Yeah. And then from there, it goes to once you have it scheduled, you're set, you have your actor, you have it casted or it's the author. Then you're in the studio. We have studios all through New York that we use. We do research and we have studios in L.A., Utah, various different places. I know someone just recorded someone in Kiev. We've recorded in Bali before. Just kind of getting that, making sure they have our recording specs. And then, yeah, and then I'm in the session with that person and I'm either directing, especially for more of a fiction book, you want to make sure all of the characters' voices are as they should be. You kind of, you go back and forth with either the author or sometimes they're like, however you want them to sound. So then you're going to get to make up this whole thing with the actor, which is very fun. If it's a series, you want to pull a character real. So you want to go back to previous books and listen to the characters' voices, making sure you have those on hand for the sessions for when that actor's recording and making sure they're lined up from previous books in that series. After it's all recorded, we've had a great time with that. Lovely. I'm sending that to my editor, my audio editor, and they are spacing it out for me the way I would like. They're taking my notes and the engineer's notes and making it one full audiobook package. 
And once they send it back to me, I listen. So I listen to it yet again, making sure nothing's skipped. Everything sounds good, what I would like it to sound like. And then from then we send it to QC, to quality control. And then at that point, they'll send us notes back as well. And we take care of whatever they found to be wrong with it. And yeah, we do credits. We have a credits reader that does the open and close. A fun thing is picking the music off of like a production music catalog. It's actually quite fun. Shout out to DeWolf. It's really fun to pick what kind of music should go with the book and set the tone for the open and close. Working with musicians is always really fun because... My friend Jake Shears, he recorded his audiobook and he was able to provide me with music for the top and bottom. And I had his friend Amber Martin come in and record the credits for it. So just like little stuff like that, just put your own little touch on it. And then it's done. Then it's packaged off, sent to different outlets, sent to everywhere to be uploaded. And that usually is uploaded for outlets two to three weeks before the pub date. Okay, wow. That Thank you for that overview, because that seems like so much work. And I don't know, you went through it really quickly, but <laughs> I feel like that is how long, what is the end to end? Like, how long does it normally take you mm-hmm. for all of that work to be done? So it varies. If it's a crash title, like I was talking about previously, it really is difficult and speeds things up for us immensely. There are times when we have to record from a 1P and get changes in as they're coming in from editorial. So our poor production editors are hearing from us every day on some of these books. And we're like, hey, we need these new corrections coming in so we can put them in and make sure it's wrapped up. A typical audiobook, I would say the production span is about three to four weeks. Sometimes we have longer. I mean, now that books are getting moved out into pub date land, books we were planning on doing earlier, we're already set up for. So now we have all of these books that are kind of in the can and we've never had this lovely adventure before where we're actually set and done and don't have to worry about it anymore. So yeah, it's about three to four weeks. Four weeks is typically the norm. The outlets like to have everything uploaded minimally one week before, but definitely two to three weeks is their prime. And how many titles are you working on at any given time? Is it like you're dedicating time to one at a time or how does that work? So not this summer, really. I mean, previous years, summer has been our incredibly busy time. And that's when I could be working on two or three books production wise at a time. But this year, I've the way books have just kind of moved out in a really interesting way. I've been able to focus more on one book at a time. And as an associate producer, that was kind of a fun thing was that you were juggling about five to 10 different books at any time. And it sounds very overwhelming. And I'm sure it is for them at times because they're also learning about production and starting to produce their own books. So I have to give so much credit to them because I know how many tasks they have to hold up in order to juggle that world. And yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't think I'll ever get over the three to four week turnaround. I know that it's obviously not a book, but like, (laughs) I'm living in like the two to three year turnaround world of publishing. So to hear that something as important as the audiobook gets created in like four weeks is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, and that's I I'm just speaking for the production side, the editorial side of audio, I'm sure is goes back more so around the 2-3 year range just so they know what rights are coming up, what to buy for the next year, what we should be on the lookout for, but that's kind of what they focus on and then then production-wise it's yeah, the 3 to 4 weeks. So at NCNS, you have I'm just so I understand the breakdown of the department. So you have the production side who is creating the audiobooks themselves, but then you also have a team that does editorial-wise like picking which books get turn into audiobooks, all of that stuff is also its own separate thing within Simon & Schuster? Exactly. So for us, we have our production department, which is what I'm in. And then we have the editorial side who does the negotiations and contracts for the different books that are coming out through Simon & Schuster and things that they have on their radar. 
trying to look into original content now, kind of sifting through what we can do for original content along with audiobooks. And then we also have our own audiobook marketing department as well. We still put books out on CD, which is kind of incredible. And I always love because your name gets put on the back of it. And so I would like send it to my mom. I'm like, mom, can you put this in your store? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we have people that work on that, work on the cover art to adapt it for the CDs and for the covers that you'll see on the e-audio. Yeah, it's kind of this weird little working world we have here within the publishing company. Yeah, I didn't realize, again, just because I'm so distant from the audio and at McMillan, at least the audio department is pretty separate. Like we don't really interact with the audio department much at all. I think our editorial team sends them the manuscript and then they just do their thing as, as far as I understand. So I don't, maybe editorial has a connection with them. I, I don't in man ed. So it's, I've, it's just so interesting. There, there's a whole ecosystem over there that I didn't even know existed. So thank you so much for <laughs> enlightening me because I really appreciate this education. Yeah. And we have, we even have like digital and audio sales people dedicated. Wow. The web is so vast. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is, I want to ask one impromptu question before I get to the final question that's prepared. Other than the titles that you worked on yourself, unless there are specific ones that you wanted to call out, what are your favorite audiobooks you've ever listened to? Because I, number one, I'm looking for Rex because I love audiobooks. And I'll throw one of mine out. One of my favorites ever is um, Courtney Summers' Sadie is the title. I don't know if you've ever listened to that, but Oh my God, you have to. It's a play on a true crime podcast. So the main character is this girl who goes missing. And so the story is telling her story, but then also the other character is a podcaster who's creating a podcast about the search to find her. So it's two narratives going on, but every other chapter is a podcast episode. So the audiobook is like you're actually listening to the podcast about this character. And it's just the production is so perfect. Highly recommend that book. But what are your holy grail audiobooks if you have any? So lately, off of the top of my head, I think Jennifer Egan, I just think is an amazing writer to begin with. And I just love her books in general. But The Candy House that was just released, I think on audio, because the way the, the stories are set up, you don't need to know too much about the Goon Squad before you read this book. But I was just so enthralled by the book and all of the ways it kind of wove this story all together, because ultimately all of these stories do come together. I thought it was really beautifully done and the actors and the producer and director just did a really outstanding job with it. I think it sounds great and it really keeps you into it because every chapter is different. Outside, I really liked Parker Posey's audiobook. I think it's called You're on an Airplane. And some folks may have found it distracting, but I thought adding the ambient airplane noise in the background was actually kind of a clutch thing to do. I really, I really appreciated it and the scene that it set. What else? The Only Plane in the Sky. It's firsthand accounts of 9-11 the entire day. Uh, Garrett Graff, phenomenal writer. The attention to detail that he took from all of like hundreds, hundreds of people their day and that experience and put them all together. So we had so many different characters, different people's voices to fill that we had folks from managing editor or the production editorial department. And we're like, Phil, we need your voice down here. Would you mind coming to 11 and recording this quick few lines? So it was kind of a weird way to bring all of the worlds together as well. So it was just fun to kind of work on and see it happen. But it's it's truly incredible. The story itself is incredible. And yeah, I think I'm just big into weaving stories. Apparently, I keep bringing that up. I'm like, oh, the way the story was woven. But it's true. The different voices that were in there, just so very emotional, very raw. It's a really beautifully done book. 
I think those are some of my recommendations. And then I always love a Stephen King thriller. One of my favorite actresses to work with is Marin Ireland. And so anything I hear her record, I know is going to be so good. She takes so much care with her characters and she just, she's incredible. So yeah, any any of those. So Marin Ireland, probably my favorite recording. I don't want to call her, she's not a recording artist. My favorite person to work with. <laughs> Actor-wise, she's just great. She just did Cloud Cuckoo Land. That one's a beast to tackle because it is such a long book in general, but again, just beautifully done. So I think those are my recommendations. Sorry to get long-winded and lost in the question. No, I love hearing those recommendations. And speaking of a long book, this is something, because I forgot to ask this earlier when we were talking, but you said that you listen to each book several, you like you read the book and then you listen to it a bunch of times. Some of these books are like 20 hours long. So you're listening to like 80 hours of the same book, potentially. How do you do that? And like, are you okay? Like what's happening? <laughs> so I don't know if you find this. I'm actually curious uh, when people ask you, like, what have you read lately? And your mind just goes blank because it's only books you've worked on. That's what I found for audiobooks. So people are like, what have you listened to lately? And in my mind, I just blank. I'm like, well, what have I worked on lately? I can at least say that because I don't have the brain capacity to listen to any more audiobooks. And it's a very sad thing to say because I do love audiobooks. But at that point, I need to listen to music. So especially after I put a book in the can, I'm ready to just listen to music and zone out for hours and not have someone read to me. It's a very weird thing. Like when I was a little kid, one of my pet peeves was actually being read to. I was so adamant I could just read myself. I'm like, how dare you read to me? I can read that myself. And now my job is literally to have people read to me, which is wonderful. I've grown as a human. <laughs> Maybe a little less stubborn. That's so funny. Yeah, I... I love audiobooks. They're one of my favorite ways to read, honestly, because I could do so many other things while reading. Like, I love a physical book, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I want to do the dishes while I'm reading, and, like, this just makes it possible. But some of these books are, like, 30 hours long, and I'm like, I want to read this book, but I just feel like it's going to take... The commitment there is so intense. So I just can't imagine, especially to do that in, like, four weeks. Your whole life becomes that book, I feel like. Is that true? It really does. Like, you have such an intimate working knowledge with this book by that point that I'm so glad other ears are listening. So if I don't catch something in the session, the engineer might say something. If we both miss something, the editor might see it and fix it up. If none of us hear it or see it, it goes through QC and quality control. And so it goes through so many different layers. I'm confident that even if my mind just starts zoning out during an eight-hour recording session day, someone will catch it. Everything's going to be okay. No one's getting hurt. We're all fine. And when you do notice things that were recorded wrong or like mistakes happened, do you have to bring the narrator back in to re-record things? Or is it just, how does that work? We try heavily on our end to have everything kind of fixed in the edit, hopefully. And if it's something egregious or if there are late book changes that came in that absolutely have to be fixed, we will bring that person in and re-record and cut and paste and send that in. And then, so that's the thing, if we do that, we call them pickup sessions. So if we bring someone in, we have it, but everything's been edited and through QC, we have to re-QC that chapter in its entirety. So it is, it just becomes a bit longer of a process. We try not to do it as much, but if we need to, we absolutely do. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. This is just, this whole process is so foreign to me. So it's just so fascinating. Sorry that I've peppered you with so many non-prepared questions, but I'm just fascinated. Okay, this is the official last question though. What would you say is the best advice that you've received thus far in your career? I think the best advice I've been given is that it's not brain surgery and don't don't take yourself too seriously. What we do is a very fun, awesome kind of thing. And to, I would never take it for granted. I really enjoy what I do, what I've learned. 
I just did a psychologist book. Like I'm, I'm never taking these things for granted. So and that's kind of the thing. And also in the publishing industry, just in general, kind of keep your head up. You know, it can be an interesting world. And I know audio is kind of separate from publishing in general at times, but we are one big group. And a piece of advice I would also give out to folks in the publishing world that don't know anyone on their audio team, shoot them an email. I love when people just shoot me an email and they're like, who are you? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like one of my good friends, I met her on our orientation day. So we started at the same time six years ago. And yeah, she lives a few neighborhoods away from me and we meet up and she's in the higher up marketing department. Like she's wonderful. So I love the interdepartmental thing. And I wish it would happen more because I know things are very kind of segmented and it's hard to get out of your own team or get off a different floor. It's just say hi to them. Yeah, it's so easy to just get lost in your own department that you don't really like recognize or interact with any other departments. So that, that is also really great advice because who knows in an audio could be your new like work wife, husband, spouse person. They could be a great friend. Yeah. Thank you so much for that advice. And thank you so much again, Tiffany, for doing this podcast. I so appreciate you answering my cold email, first of all, and then also agreeing to do this. I'm so grateful. I do have two more final questions for you. If you want to be followed on the internet, where can we follow you? And then also, do you have any upcoming books, projects that you're excited about that you want to shout out to my audience? Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram. It's Ferrari, T-I-F-R-A-R-E-Y-T-I. And then I do have a website, just TiffanyFerrari.com. And I update that with productions I've just finished. You can always email me via that. Feel free to reach out. always love talking to people. Books I'm looking forward to in the future. Honestly, my, my brain is so blank right now because I'm in that mode where I'm like, oh, I just have this one book I'm working on this week. And also I'm going to Europe for three weeks. So I'm like, I'm completely dead zone for three weeks. There's an author I love working with. Her name's Nora McInerney. I'll be recording her soon. She's a wonderful, funny, witty, beautiful writer. I'm looking forward to her book. A book I just finished recording not long ago and is about to be posted for QC is called Rated X by Maitland Ward. Uh, you may know her as a former actress on the show Boy Meets World in the college years. It's about her turn from Hollywood mainstream acting into the adult film industry. And it's a very empowering, wonderful book. And she was just a really cool person to get to hear her story and all of that. So those are two I'm kind of looking forward to in the future that are not released yet. Those sound amazing. Thank you so much for shouting those out. And I said it 12 times, but thank you again so much. I so appreciate your time, especially, I mean, you're right, right about to go on vacation. You just had this marathon week. So thank you so much. This episode was so personally educational, and I think it will also be super helpful for other people who, even if they don't necessarily want to work in audio, to better understand all of the work that goes into creating audiobooks is going to be so invaluable. So thank you so much again. No, thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, it was great. Thank you for reaching out. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slush. Please visit slushpod.com where you'll find episode transcripts, free resources, and forms to submit questions and feedback. You can also follow Slush on Twitter at slushpod, and if you are so inclined, please rate and review the podcast. Slush is hosted and produced by Eric Harden. Slush's logo was designed by Shelby Pack, and its theme music comes from the song Good Luck Charm by Olive Music. Any views expressed on the podcast are personal and do not reflect the opinions or interests of the hosts or guests' employers. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.